one of the verses that we looked at uh, in depth was uh, Psalm 51, verse 5. And so it was really good to be able to sing Psalms 51 in, in its entirety just now. If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And just to let you know, I've been preaching through the book of Acts, uh, passage by passage, and we are here in chapter 4, and this is actually um, a, a story, if you will. Of course, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word of the true and living God. So when I say story, I, I don't mean something that is made up, but rather it is, it is an event that started back in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Uh, what happened at the, the beginning of chapter 3 is Peter and John are walking into the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a man who is sitting there. He has been lame from birth, and he is 40 years old. So he's been sitting there uh, day in and day out. And he would uh, beg for for alms, for money or for food in order that uh, he might be able to continue to live. And so he asked Peter and John. Peter and John replied to him, We don't have silver or gold, but what we do have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. This man immediately uh, leapt up began to jump and praise God. And all the people in the temple who had seen this man day in and day out for many years, presumably, uh, saw this man healed. And a great crowd gathered, almost 5,000 people. And Peter begins to preach. He preached his sermon. After the sermon, the uh, captain of the temple guard arrested him, and uh, they also arrested John. They locked him in, them in prison for the night. The next morning, they brought them out of prison, brought them before the religious council. Uh, they stood before the entire religious establishment of Jerusalem and um, gave their defense. The religious establishment commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. They threatened them. And because everyone could see this man who had been healed, who was standing right there with them, and all these 5,000 people had seen this, they could not keep them in jail, so they released them. And so Peter and John are released from jail and they go back to the church that is gathered there and is awaiting on, on them and their fate. So they go back. What are the alternatives that Peter and John and this young church have before them? First of all, they cannot organize a protest and stand out on the temple uh, steps and protest the religious establishment. Nor can they contact their congressman. Nor can they vote the bombs out, uh, vote the religious leaders out of office, and certainly they cannot take up arms and start a revolution. What can they do? 
That's why I told the story of the out-of-control stretch Mustang. What can they do? All they can do is seek help from God, and that is exactly what they did. We can learn a great deal from the example that the early church leaves us as they gathered for prayer in the midst of tremendous hardship. So, all that being said, now that I've put this in the context, if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 4, hear the Word of God, beginning with verse 23. When they, they being Peter and John, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and why did the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand and heal and and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were, or the place which they were gathered together, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that I might proclaim your word with boldness, in order that your people might lift up their prayers boldly and with confidence before your throne of grace, pleading with you that you would fill them with boldness as they open their mouth and proclaim the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, fill me that your people might proclaim Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Alright, I have seven points on the back of your bulletin if you want to uh, follow along. And I hope to average about three minutes per point in order that I would be timely. However, uh, I certainly will not average that with the first two points. And so uh, I cut down um, much shorter the, the, the last several points. So to jump right in, uh, the first point that I have on the back of your bulletin is a praying church is, a, is powerful when she prays in response to suffering. Again, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and elders had said to them. And what did they say? First of all, they threatened them. Secondly, they commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice, first of all, when they were released, the first thing they did was they gathered together with the church. It is a common temptation to when we are facing suffering in our lives to withdraw from other people. Um, 
in our culture suffering, uh, when we are so when we are so self uh, dependent, when we are told to uh, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, um, when when individualism is always emphasized, this idea of suffering in our culture can be seen as a sign of weakness. Um, also, when you're going through suffering, there's this temptation to think that others might see us uh, in an embarrassing light. They might not see us at our best when we're going through suffering. So there's this temptation to withdraw. But what the church did, what Peter and John did, when they and the church, because it wasn't just those two who were threatened, the entire church was threatened. What they did was they gathered together. The church should be where we let our guard down. We are commanded to carry each other's burdens. And when we come together, when we let each other carry each other's burdens, our weaknesses actually can work to our advantage. Because instead of us withdrawing, We have the church that can come around us and lift us up and strengthen uh, strengthen us at the very point at which we are weak. And in Christianity, weakness is viewed as an advantage. Remember Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he had that thorn in the flesh? God said, my power is perfected in your weakness. God's power is perfected in our weakness. So suffering is really one of the great advantages we have to help us pray more powerfully and pray more effectively. My wife, when we first started seminary, she went and and um, and uh, right after Rachel was born, she went through a tremendous trial. And every night for, for several weeks, several months, she and I would talk about the struggles that she was having. And it was painful. But what she did was she sought God as she went through that trial. And she came out on the other side with much spiritual growth. It was amazing. It was painful at the time. I assure you. But I don't think she would trade it for anything because she grew so much. I went through a trial for about a year. And um, I would go out and I would walk and I would pray literally for hours. And I would have my Bible and I would read the scriptures and I would pray about what I was reading in the scriptures. And what was so amazing was it was like God. Of course, he wasn't speaking audibly, but his word was so vivid in, in, in my life as I'm reading and I'm praying about what I'm reading, as I'm walking and praying. And I would just walk back through the woods, um, and I would just keep walking until I felt like I had heard from God. And then sometimes I had a couple of miles to walk back, but I sought the Lord. 
And he spoke to me uh, through his word. In fact, it, like I said, it was about a year after, after that, my wife said to me, Welcome back. And in one sense, I wish that I had not wasted so much time. But you know what? I would not trade that year of my life for anything. I would not trade it for any amount of money. Because I grew in grace. And so what I'm telling you is don't try to escape suffering when it comes your way. What the Puritans used to say is improve upon your suffering. Uh, When suffering comes, embrace it. Walk with God through the suffering. Kiss the cross, if you will. Embrace your suffering. And seek God through it. Use it as an opportunity to seek God. Seek it as an opportunity to draw near to God in your weakness and let Him perfect His power in you. Let me give you a few applications. When I was in Chattanooga, uh, well, I was in Co- at Covenant College, I would drive down to this church on the other side of Chattanooga, and I would, the pastor let me lead worship, so it was good for me to lead worship. It was good for the church because everybody in the church was um, in their 60s and over, and the church was in real danger of dying, and they liked having me as a young person, young, enthusiastic college student, to, to be up in the pulpit uh, reading the scriptures. And uh, one Sunday, the pastor's wife um, told a, a group of people, what we need to do is we need to start a prayer meeting on Sunday afternoon. Otherwise, we're going to die as a church. And so she said, Sunday afternoon, I'll be in this one room. Uh, anybody who wants to come, please come. And a group came and met with her. You know what happened the next Sunday? Two young families came to the church. And they came from Tennessee Temple. If you know, Tennessee Temple is an independent Baptist church. And the reason they came is they started hearing about this predestination. And they wanted to know what it was about. And then once they found out what it was about, they went out and told their friends. And all of a sudden, you had all these college students. And an instant college ministry within a month. I uh, ran into the pastor a couple of years ago at General Assembly, and he had some men around him uh, who were about my age. These were elders in the church who had come during those weeks after they had started the prayer meeting. Why did they pray, and why did they pray so earnestly? Because they were in danger. Our church budget is suffering. It's an opportunity for us to pray. Don't hide from suffering. Embrace it and take it to God. And watch what He will do. Secondly, uh, a praying church is powerful when her prayers are energized by who God is. Verse 24, when they heard it, when they heard the, 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 what it, the elders and priests had said to Peter and John, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Verse 24, as they begin their prayer, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Basically, they're quoting Psalm 146, verse 6. Psalm 146 
is a psalm that encourages the reader not to place their, their trust in princes. In other words, don't place your trust in men, but rather place your trust in God. Psalm 46 says, Lean upon the Lord because the Lord loves the righteous. I want you to make a mental note of that or either in your notes. I want you to write Psalm 146 because it will be of value to you when you go through times of suffering. To read it. To pray through it. And to remember that God loves the righteous. And that His saints are to put their trust in Him. Of course, Psalm 146 was written in Hebrew, uh, but they are quoting it in Greek. And this phrase, Sovereign Lord, is an interesting word. It's one word in the Greek, and it's, it's an unusual word. Normally, the word in Greek for Lord is kurie, as you are... Um, as you are addressing the Lord. But instead, the word here in Greek is despata. Do you recognize that word? It carries over into the English. It's the word we use for despot. And so they are saying despot. They're calling God a despot. Why are they doing that? Well, a despot is a ruler of unchallengeable power. And so they are reminding themselves that they are not approaching a celestial bellhop who is able to do a few things uh, to help them. But rather, they are praying to the Sovereign Lord, the one who has unchallengeable power. That's the last time I'm going to say unchallengeable during this sermon. They are praying to the Sovereign Lord who created the heavens and the earth. They are praying to the the Sovereign Lord who has all things under His control. In other words, what problem can He not handle? What power can He not overcome? They are reminding themselves who God is. If you're out of work and you're struggling... In your prayers, remind yourself who God is. If you are sick and have an ongoing will, uh, sickness, remind yourself who God is. If you have loved ones who are sick, remind yourself who God is. If you have unbelieving loved ones, remind yourself who God is. Dwell on God in your prayers. Put Him first in your prayers. Not only because He deserves the honor, and He does deserve the honor, and not only because dwelling on God helps protect you from praying selfish prayers, but you have... Um, a weak faith. Every person struggles with a weak faith. I can tell you, I myself, I feel like I'm a a, a pot with the with the bottom that is broken out, like those um, those flower pots that have little holes in them. You pour the water in, and the water begins flowing out the bottom uh, so quickly. I feel like that's the way I am. 
the Apostle Paul says, the very thing I want to do, that's the very thing I don't do. The very thing I hate, that's what I end up doing. He calls himself the chief of sinners. It's like God pours out in His Spirit, and the next thing you know, uh, I'm looking at my own interests rather than looking at God's. I'm thinking about my circumstances rather than looking above my circumstances and looking at God. And I know that that is just the human condition because we are sinners. But our prayers must be filled with faith. So how can we, who are often empty, be filled with faith and have prayers that prevail? Remember Matthew chapter 8? The disciples are in the boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. And the storm rose up. The wind and the waves are crashing around them. And the, the boat is in danger of sinking. Where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat asleep. Remember what the disciples did? They did the right thing. They went to the right place. They went to Jesus and they woke him up. And they prayed very fervently. They fervently implored him to help. Again, that's the right action. But what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. Oh, you of little faith. They went to the right place. They did the right thing. But their actions were not motivated by faith. Their actions were motivated by fear. Seek God first until your faith is stirred within you. Look to Him. Remember who He is. Seek Him until you believe that He can and will help you. I've got a little trick that I do. It's not much of a trick, actually. My favorite book that I've ever read is The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. When I feel particularly dry and I open up scriptures and the scriptures aren't speaking to me and I, I need to see God and I need to, I need to hear from Him, I'll read one of those chapters uh, from A.W. Pink. And his chapters are only like three pages long. Uh, and it's on the attributes of God, the character traits of God. So I might read on the omnipotence of God or the holiness of God or the glory of God. And A.W. Pink is just filled with scripture. And it just it builds my faith. And then I'm able to get more out of my, my scripture reading time. My prayers are filled with faith. And my prayers end up being more effective. And so you can go out and get yourself a copy of A.W. Pink uh, or A.W. Tozer. I don't know what it is with the A.W.'s. Um, the Knowledge of the Holy is a great book. Um... But look at God and remember who He is. I've said it before. I'm sure I'll say it again and again. When you have a big God and you're able to see Him in His immensity, in His greatness, your problems begin to shrink in proportion. And you realize that your problems are in His hands. Thirdly, a praying church is powerful when her prayers are rooted in Scripture. Again, verses 24 and 25. Well, first of all, they're quoting Psalm 146 in verse 24. Verse 25 and 26, they are quoting Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. This is closely related to the point above. When you see a promise in Scripture, 
you can take it to the bank. And if you don't have the answer to that promise, pray in faith until you receive it. If God has promised something and you don't have it, keep seeking Him until you have it. James says you do not have because you do not ask. Keep seeking Him. Of course he goes on, James goes on to say, and when you ask, you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your on your pleasure. So you also have to do a little um, self-inspection there. But if you have a promise and God hasn't answered it, be like that widow in Luke 18. She was the the widow who wore out the judge with her coming. She would not be put off. She wore him out. And God says, Will not God give justice to his children who call out to him day and night? It is okay to pester God. And when he gives you that answer, it will be more than you can ask or imagine. In other words, our prayers must be full of faith. One of the Puritans said, God hears no more than the heart speaks. And if our hearts be dumb, God will certainly be deaf. Our prayers must be full of faith. Where does faith come from? Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Fill yourselves up on God's word. In so doing, you will see God. In so seeing God, your faith will be filled and your prayers will be more effective. And so here they are. These Christians, as they begin their prayer, they start with Psalm 146 and then they move quickly into Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles raise the people's plot in vain? And the reason they're quoting Psalm 2 is they've seen Psalm 2 just in the past few weeks with the betrayal and the um, crocodile court that Jesus was hauled in front of and then his crucifixion. They've seen Psalm 2 play out. They've seen the kings of the earth and the rulers gather together against God's anointed. And they tried to break break the chains of God's authority. Psalm 2 is not, the the entirety of Psalm 2 is not quoted here. But as it goes through Psalm 2, uh, Psalm 2 says, God says, I have installed my king on Zion. And he goes on and he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be uh, destroyed in the way. And in quoting Psalm 2, they are are saying, This was just fulfilled. And if God is able to, Uh, Or if if the kings of the earth and the rulers gather together against Christ and they won't stand, well now they're gathering against us and because we belong to God, God will work His purposes out through them. Just as He worked His purposes out through the wickedness of the kings and the rulers who had conspired against Jesus. And so that's what they're saying in verses 27 and 28. And this transitions us into the fourth point of praying church. Is powerful when her prayers lean on the sovereignty of God. That is what they are doing, verse 27 and 28. They are leaning on the sovereignty of God. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along... So it wasn't just the religious leaders, but it's Herod, the king of Israel, and Pilate, the the Roman uh, ruler of, of Israel. 
So it, they had gathered together against Jesus whom God had anointed. They had also gathered together with all the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to, in verse 28 to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They are reminding themselves of one of God's attributes. That God is sovereign. That He rules and reigns over every human event, even over the wickedness of men. And God is in control right now of your life. He is in control right now of your future. He was in control right right at the moment in which your house flipped upside down when the mortgage uh, market went under. God is in control. You can trust Him because He cares for His righteous ones. In fact, He will turn your suffering into His good. Fifthly, a praying church is powerful when she prays for her boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Notice here in verse 29, when they get get around to making their petition, they don't pray... For, uh, for vengeance. They say, and now Lord, look upon their threats. So they say, okay, look upon their threats. Look upon uh, what they are doing. And in other words, they're placing their enemies in God's hands. And that's enough. When you are facing an enemy, you are called to love them. You are called never to take vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine. And so what they're doing, they say, Lord, look upon their threats. They're placing them into God's hands. And then they make a very specific request in regard to those who are threatening them. They are praying for God to work miracles. But the miracles that they are praying for are not miracles of vengeance. Rather, they are miracles of mercy. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In other words... Um, Lord, look upon their threats and enable us to proclaim the gospel of your love, the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, to them with boldness. One thing they are not praying for, they are not praying for escape from their suffering. I think that's where we center our prayers. Lord, get me out of the suffering. Lord, protect me. Lord, um, uh, uh, remove the suffering. They don't pray, Lord, remove the suffering. What they pray is, Lord, give us more opportunities to suffer. They're saying, Lord, do more. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What got them into this pickle? They healed this man who had been uh, lame from birth. That's what got him into this whole mess. They're saying, Lord, do more of it. Heal more people in order that we might have more opportunities to proclaim your word with boldness. In order that we might proclaim the name of Jesus. In order we might proclaim that these miracles are done in his name. The very thing that they were commanded not to do. Don't make the subject matter of your prayers when you're going through suffering 
all about your personal comfort. Sixthly, a praying church is powerful when her prayers aim at bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Again, verse 30. Um, They're not praying, Lord, help us to be effective in evangelism to grow our church. They say, they're saying, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. Not in our name, not to bring glory to ourselves, but through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The entire ministry of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ. It is very tempting to want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us because we want great power because we want great growth because we want a lot of excitement in our congregation the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ He is very willing to take the background in order that Jesus Christ might be front and center and might be lifted up The Holy Spirit gives Himself willingly, joyfully to believers in order that we might exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our lifestyle and in our words, in our preaching. And lastly, a praying church is powerful when our prayers result in action. For you to be obedient to this text of Scripture, you're going to need to make a decision that you are going to share your faith. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all, not just the pastor, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. If we come out of this sermon and have a prayer meeting... We haven't been obedient to this passage. Remember the Apostle James. Faith um, faith without works is dead. Their prayers resulted in bold evangelism. How will it be for us? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, he himself has redeemed Israel from all their sins. We belong to you. And so I pray that you would pour out your Spirit now and fill us with your Spirit in order that we might proclaim Him to a world that is uh, living around us. Father, I pray that um, that uh, we would not seek our own personal comfort. Rather, I pray that we would seek to die to ourselves in order that Christ might live um, in our lives and uh, be on our lips in order that people might come to know Him. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.